Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to Kate Richardson-Walsh, who was captain when Great Britain won gold in hockey at the Rio 2016 Olympics. And the theme of the episode is being a role model. Kate, how Hello. are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So uh, you and Helen, pregnant? Yes. How exciting. Really exciting. New chapter, something to look forward to. We're taking, you know, as new... Up and coming parents do expectant parents. They take it, you know, bits of information and uh, tips from everybody. So we're getting lots of that, which is nice. A December baby, you were telling me. Yes, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed, all being well. Yeah, I love Christmas. Christmas for me starts December the first. So it, yeah. you know, I'm the whole that whole month's going to be very exciting. Well, I was saying I'm a December baby, and yeah, uh, there are month. definite Sagittarian traits, both good and bad. Such as what? Like what? <laughs> well, so I read somewhere that, um, or someone told me once, prone to social blunders. 
And I thought, okay, okay like quite outgoing, okay. But, but can occasionally put their foot in it with perhaps like a bit of bluntness. I thought, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Oh, but black, I quite like blunt. Well, exactly. Black's for positive for me. Yeah, yeah. Blunt is good. And what are you? I'm a Tory, and so I'm very blunt. And you, and you buy into that as well. <laughs> I've got a tattoo on my wrist to be, <laughs> remind myself to be kind to my Tory in ways, yeah. I hope it goes very well. Very exciting news. And let's talk about you. The captain's captain. I like the way your your eyes have got this kind of fear in it. A role model, a winner, a leader, a champion and a jolly nice woman. 375 caps. How many goals did you get? 49 goals, one yeah. short of the 50. Is that yeah, a bit of a sore point? Yeah. But I tell you, what a career though. 375 appearances. Other sports don't get anywhere near that. We certainly did play a lot of games and particularly in you know the lead up to sort of the London Olympics when lots of teams were coming over. They wanted to come and play over here on the pitch at the venue or see what we were up to. So we, we played lots and lots of matches. Now we're going to talk about your story and also dissect the lessons you've learned along the way. And I know you've got lots of gems, but let's start back at the beginning where you grew up in a very sporty family. That's a bit handy, isn't it? Both parents as PE teachers. Yeah, both mum and dad, really sporty. Um, dad kind of played cricket. Um, football when we were really young and before we were born um, and then love him kind of put that to the wayside still played cricket over the summer but then was really just ferrying us around everywhere um, mum played hockey netball indoor cricket I mean literally anything they could have a go at they would yeah. play opposite our house was a little cul-de-sac and there was a group of kids and we grew up and we'd, there's a block of flats at the end of that cul-de-sac and we'd do mini Olympics around that mm -hmm. so what I remember from my childhood is outside running around the roads, doing all sorts. And I am quite, really quite rubbish at a lot of other sports. Oh, really? I'm really not. That surprises good. me. It surprises a lot of people. <laughs> not me, because I've grown up that way. Um, I'll have a go, but I'm just... I, I, just, I, I grew up swimming uh -huh. and doing gymnastics. They were my two main sports when I was growing up. Um, and, I'd, you know, we'd have tennis rackets in the back garden and swing ball and all that kind of stuff you have. Um, my dad's cricket bat out. But I just never took to any of those really? and so didn't really play them at all but you've, you've clearly got good hand-eye coordination so that surprises me questionable um, really <laughs> unless you've got to hit the ball in hockey that's the whole yeah, point yeah yeah i'm not i wasn't a technical player i think let's say that i was um i was very fortunate at the time i came through the system there was a kind of change in mentality the kind of player they were looking for in hockey and it was a kind of an athletic player and i was quite strong and pretty fit and could repeat effort so that's that was just perfect for me that's interesting yeah. so how did you actually get into hockey um just at my local school so I went to my local comprehensive secondary school mm -hmm. uh, and my PE teacher Beverly Kinder was our teacher and she hockey was one of the sports we did so we did hockey netball in the winter and then we did rounders and athletics in the summer and as soon as I picked it up I loved it there was something about I think the team element so I'd been as I said doing gymnastics and swimming and they were quite kind of here's a mat do you know as many backward walkovers as you can or you know here's this swimming session put on the um, float at the end of the lane do it and I loved the um, competitions for gymnastics and I loved the relays and swimming and so it made sense then that I loved the team element of hockey. Yeah and you said as well that hockey gave you the space and confidence to belong. Yeah, I was really shy. Were you? I was so shy. Um, like, painfully so. And I blushed when I would speak, you know, like, even this, just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I would blush. And then once I'd sense myself blushing, I would get embarrassed because I'd think they're staring at me now, thinking, why is she blushing? Mm -hmm. And my brain was Vicious working circle. over time. Exactly. And so then I would just stop putting myself in those situations. Um, and I never kind of... I was bullied at primary school. I mean, lots of kids are. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I just never f- seemed to fit in with any group of people. Um, and then I started playing hockey and I just felt like I belonged. It was just the best feeling ever. And I literally found my voice. And, you know, because people couldn't really understand, like, how are you so quiet off the pitch? And then you go on there and you're commanding people, moving people around. And I didn't know. Sport does that for so many people. That seems mm. to be a really common thread. Yeah. We just want, I think a belonging is a real human Absolutely. need, isn't it? It's a, it's a deep-rooted human need. Um, and if you, if you find it, you will cling on to it. Absolutely. And so from starting in hockey, within, what, nine years you're playing at the Olympics? That's a pretty steep fast curve yeah with a big massive lesson pretty early doors as well which was um so i was selected for the england under 16s when i was 14 mm-hmm. um kind of the year before perhaps you maybe should and i just kind of followed my nose i hadn't aimed for it i hadn't you know done anything specific to get there and so i wasn't training i was eating like a packet of cookies watching neighbors at school every day i was doing going to the park with my mates doing things i shouldn't be doing i just was just that age um and then the next year when maybe i should have been selected i was dropped and i remember the letter I still get emotional now the letter coming through the post because that's what you how you found out in those days and there was a list of names printed and my name wasn't on there and my parents kind of sat me down and I remember my mum specifically saying to me, you know, what do you want to do about it? Which I remember at the time thinking that is so harsh. Um, but it was the best question because it was a kind of in my gift. What did I want? Where did I want to take this? And, you know, age 15, that's a pretty massive life question to be asking yourself. And I hadn't had any, I was rudderless. I didn't really know where I was going. I wasn't steering myself in any direction at all. Um, and you couldn't have been a professional hockey player, certainly. And even to be a professional sportswoman, that did seemed very distant um, and nothing really for me. But so I, what I did do was say, OK, I wanted to be the best hockey player I can. Um, it was a period of about a year that I just made so many choices, which would then help me on that journey. So I went to a different college, uh, went to a different hockey club that was the my nearest National League club. It was an hour and 45 minutes away. My dad, bless him, would take me there twice a week. Started eating properly. I then learned to love to run. I hated running. I cannot tell you how much I hated running. Um, I started to learn to love the discipline of it, the discipline of training. And again, found a place where I belonged with this group of women at Hightown Hockey Club up in Formby with international players, the international coach was there and I was like, right, this is this is for me, I love it. Mm. So there was that fork in the road. Yeah. And uh, learning from adversity, very key. And a lot of people um, do do that and they say that, you know, those tough moments sort of make you, mm. can make you or break you. Obviously, clearly in, in your yeah, case, it did make you and your mum as well, having that very intelligent conversation and giving you full responsibility as well. So you knew then it was all down to you. Absolutely. And again, is I guess through my career, the empowerment, if if somebody empowers you to to take responsibility, it is in then in your hands to to run with it, drive it. If it doesn't work, it's what are you going to do about it? Could you have quit at that point? What what if your mum hadn't have had that conversation with you? Yeah. Could it have knocked you over? I would have been another stat. I probably would have been another another stat, and I meet like you know when I go around and do talks and stuff, and I meet so many women that said, oh, I played you know, for my county or I played for my territory and I, or I played England under 16s. 
but then I never got picked again. I don't, I don't play hockey anymore. That absolutely could have been me. Mm. So after that point, you completely, like you said, developed a love of discipline and running and eating properly and mm. doing everything you need to do to be a top professional. Got back in the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's fast forward then to the age of 23, yeah. which was a pretty staggering moment. And okay, for someone who, who says you know, that you were shy... Mm. So the team, you thought that they were looking to get a a selection of captains. So they all Mm. asked you and your peers who should be Mm. leaders. Yeah, so we'd had, um, we hadn't really had a a captain for a period of time. We went through massive loads of changes from my first cap in 99 to 2003. We'd had three separate lots of coaches. I goodness knows how many captaincies in that. So there was so much change. It just felt like a, a really tempestuous time. And um, nobody really wanted to be an out-and-out captain. And actually, co-captains was working out pretty well for us. So we were voting in Sydney. I remember in Parramatta in a hotel, we were voting for co-captains. So we'd all kind of written our votes down. The coaches went out of the room to top them all up. And then Trisha Heberly, the head coach, came back in and said, OK, well, we were voting for co-captains, but there's been an overriding uh, an overwhelming vote for one person, so I'm, we're going to actually just have one captain. I was just like totally stunned. When she said there's going to be one captain, did you do you, you pop up or were, who were you thinking? At no, <laughs> I was thinking one of my teammates who'd really? been one of the co-captains right. um, and was a senior player because I was 23. So there's yeah. players in the team 10 years older than me, you know, way more experienced than me. Um and I was I was really proud, obviously, so proud, mm. um, but but shocked. And I, you know, it wasn't out completely out of the, you know, realms of reality. I'd been captain of the under twenty one team. I'd captained, you know, other teams. So it wasn't completely out of the window. But it was it was um, it was yeah, really proud. That's a great process even for them to have gone through in the first yeah. place. It's, it's quite a rare way of choosing a captain, isn't it? And it, it empowers you and your teammates. Yeah, and I think latterly with under Danny Kerry, um, when we voted for our captaincy on our leadership group, we we did it around our, off the back of our culture. So once we created our vision, values and behaviours, we then voted for that group because they were going to lead us specifically on that. So that, I think, was even more powerful. But absolutely, you're given a mandate straight away. These people want yeah. you to lead them. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, it felt great. Yeah. Do you, what do you think it was that, that, that set you apart? And have you, have you heard from people in the team? Have they told you what it was no. that, that, that made you stand out? No. And, you know, I get asked this question a lot. And I think, you know, I should probably just ask a few of them. Yeah. What do you think? Don't, no, no British modesty. I think um, I, the way I played and the way I was at that time, I was really conscious of being the best role model I could set in the best example that I could so you know pushing myself in training demanding standards and challenging things I was I was very conscious of doing what I could and that if I did that then I could challenge other people to do the same thing so that was the basis of it all yeah um you know and I look back now and I think oh I you know I was doing awfully at some things like some of my relationships with players some of my relationships with the staff was just not of the of the level of the standard but I was 23 sure I was doing the best I could at the time um which is obviously very good you know to get the nod from so many of your peers like stand out yeah I mean I I genuinely would like to ask them why don't you I know I should (laughs) I should I will 
I will. Um, and it all seems to, you know, chart back again to that letter that you got, you know, mm. where you decided, okay, to take responsibility for yourself and do all these things. And once they're embedded in you, then it's like, okay, I can be an example to other people. No, I mean, I have to say I was supported by, at that time when I was um, 15 by just some amazing people in my family. Mm. Some coaches had some really hard conversations with me, you know, and... There was lots of lots of people at that time helped me with that decision, certainly. Uh, you said you took the responsibility of playing as well as captaincy very, very seriously. So it's all consuming for you. Yeah, I was all in. So when I think about it, I think I was all in, in every sense. So um, every, was everything aligned towards, you know, yeah. the team and being a good captain yeah. in your life, pretty much? Yeah. Really? Yeah, which, which I just found totally normal. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, quite far down the road and someone said, you, you're, you're obsessed. And it wasn't said in a nice way. And I was like, yeah, I am. And I feel really positive about that. But I also feel like now, having stepped away and got a different perspective, that because me as a person and me as a captain and me as a hockey player was so en- entwined, we were so one, that then when that, when I left, that's why that transition of, of leaving the sport, I think, was that much harder because I I felt like I'd lost myself. Of course. That's very common. Absolutely. But it's, it's you know, is there a way of, of being all in? Because I think you have to be all in. Mm-hmm. You're doing something extraordinary. You're mm-hmm. asking yourself and your teammates to do something completely out of the ordinary. Um, is there a way of maintaining that actually just who you are? And that's a separate thing but, I don't know or is it just accepting that yeah, you know, the, the grief comes at the end of it yeah. you know that's quite normal like you are grieving a, yeah. a part of yourself aren't you yeah. it's, it's kind of a normal process perhaps we just don't think of it that way yeah no yeah that's fair I was watching a, a few videos in which you were speaking and you, and you spoke about you know your approach and how it contrasted with some of your teammates and uh, you didn't name whoever it was but you said that there was another teammate who, who didn't have that all consuming approach that you did and you couldn't understand it at the time mm. yet found out later mm-hmm. that actually hang on this is what worked for them mm-hmm. and I found that really interesting you know it's, it's kind of horses for courses isn't it we are all different it's what works yeah. for everyone so yeah just tell us about that yeah I think in any group of people there's a there's going to be people that you clash with and likely some of the reasons that you clash with those people is because your values or your perspectives so you're coming at it from a different point of view your end point is the same and the goal is the same but I think when you can't understand where the other person is coming from and they can't understand where you're coming from at the same time, then that's when the clashes happen. And yeah, I just wish, I hate regrets. So I, it's not that I regret it. I just kind of wish I'd spent a bit more time with this person at the time, really trying to understand where they were coming from and, and why they wanted to go about it in that way. I might have still disagreed. Yeah. But I feel like I at least would have understood. So what was the other way? What, they would switch off away from the hockey? I mean, that's good. No, that would be a good thing. I would have been happy. No, it was It was just more, they just potentially weren't all in. And I, I totally get that people need things outside of the sport. Like, that's balance. Um, and people would probably say to me, you didn't have that balance. And I would probably agree with them. But that's, what I, that's the way I wanted to do it. Mm. But in doing it my way, I needed to understand that there were other ways and they were no better or worse. That was just their way. So how did you come to understanding that? I like to be curious 
I like to listen to different podcasts. I like to read different books. And I guess there's I, there's somewhere in one of these things, I like to listen to like Oprah's Super Soul Conversations <laughs> and Russell Brand's Under the Skin. and But all of these people you learn from and you... Yeah, of course. Their experiences and how they've dealt with different things. And I, and I think something along that, and I don't know, it wasn't like a aha moment, but somewhere along the way, it's made me think about things in a different way yeah that's i have to say that is the beauty i think of podcasts yeah like that you know you do get such a different view of the way people are thinking right let's fast forward to 2012 because frankly you're as hard as nails as well as everything else aren't mm-hmm. you okay home games <laughs> you must have been very very excited right up until not far into your first match when you got a, a hockey stick right in the mush yep is dream start as well we we're four nil up against japan who we'd normally kind of had really close games with, four minutes to go, and I'm just so competitive. And you say I'm hard as nails. I mean, most people would just say I was stupid uh, because I went in for a tackle that I really didn't need to go in for. And um, I got a little bit of the ball, and in doing so, the Japanese right winger had already started to swing a stick to hit the ball and just obviously got no ball and got follow through all on my jaw and just must have caught me in a just a real bad spot or a sweet spot whichever way you look at it and just I just felt straight away my whole bottom row teeth on the left hand side just pop up oh. fractured the whole oh, jaw God. right underneath the teeth it was a straight line almost all the way underneath my teeth all the way back to the back of my jaw and just that whole thing just felt it pop crikey um, but didn't you have a cramp as well and you weren't you were thinking yeah. Right, yeah, let's focus on the cramp first anybody that's had cramp knows that everything must stop at that time, only the cramp can be dealt with. I mean, I've had cramp, but I still imagine that, that uh, you know, a, a fractured jaw would hurt more. I've got to be honest. It must have been shock or something, I don't know. But the physio was like, yeah, Kate, there's blood like pouring out of your mouth. Can I just sort that out, please? I was like, no, seriously, can you can you just pull my toe back? I've got really bad cramp. So did you think at that point, right, that's it for me? Oh, yeah, 100%. But it wasn't? No, I mean, it was like a, it was a, the 24 hours of was like a comedy sketch um, in some kind of dark comedy. I went back to the medical room and you know that thing at the dentist when they like suction all the saliva out of your mouth? Um, there, was, there was two doctors back there trying to get this machine to play ball and it was flying around the room, this air suction thing, wire lead was just flying around the room and I was like, is this for real? Are these like proper doctors? <laughs> And then I got into the ambulance, two lovely ladies who had been brought down from Yorkshire to help with the 2012 Olympics and they didn't know where they were going, where the hospital was, so we got lost. And then eventually had all these scans. The doctor came out and said, yeah, you fractured your door, There's no, you can't play any more part in the Olympics. Um, and then he went, you can play the, maybe you could play the last game. And I was like, really? And he's like, no. <laughs> terrible joke. I was just like, what is this? That really is a terrible it joke. It really, honestly was. Um and then I just remember sat up. I couldn't lie down because blood was basically pouring down the back of my throat. So I sat up the whole night just thinking, well, what an idiot. Why did I do that? Why did I make that tackle? My wife, Helen, was, was not wife at the time, was now captain in the team because mm-hmm. that was our process. So she was being professional doing that. Obviously, the coaches, staff, everybody was there. Um, and it wasn't until the next morning when the surgeon, Dr. Holmes, came in and he said, I think we can fix you. And I was like, he is not sure about this I'm really not sure and he was so confident that he just passed that confidence on to me initially I had surgery put three plates in wired some of my teeth together everything inside my mouth he wouldn't even give me steroids he would have been allowed to use steroids as part of the operation we would have had therapeutic use exemption Mm -hmm. but he said he didn't want any question marks so no so I looked like a moomin people don't know what moomins look like anymore I'm like google it Um, and 
yeah, I was missed. I watched the South Korea game in my hospital bed. And then I got out of hospital, started trying to train and get back and went through all the tests that were going to be required of me. Um, had a brilliant, again, brilliant medical team. Strength and conditioning coach was just amazing at that time. Uh, sat on the bench for the Belgium game, I think one three one, And then I got my chance to come back against China. And then led the team to bronze. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I say to everybody that you would do the same. Everybody would do the same. Given that chance, given the circumstances, given what's gone into that moment mm. and the incredible medical team, the, you know, our physio, uh, Emma Bachelor, our S&C, Dave Hamilton, like they, I just had brilliant, brilliant people. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. But that must speak to your sort of determination and resilience to be able to come back. It can't just have been down to the fact that, okay, you've had this process and the doctor said you could. But, you know, there had to be a real drive on your part as well. Yeah, I guess I guess it was the team the vision you know what in 2009 we decided as a group of 28 women that gold was going to be our vision mm. for London and we really genuinely felt like that was a possibility having got lots of good results in the lead up and this was once in a lifetime mm. and because I'd been all in and because this was my everything I was going to in every way I could try and take this opportunity to get back in so you got your bronze were you happy with the bronze having set the goal for gold Having lost that semi-final to Argentina 2-1 and it been devastating for 24 hours um, because your dream's gone, to turn that around in the manner that we did and uh, that group that went out and played for that 28, the way they played in that bronze medal match was outstanding. So, yeah. Two years later, 2014. So, you know, you've got, you've got a medal in the bag and hopes are really high for the team. Mm. You go into the World Cup and thinking podium you know pretty mm. much nailed on but you had a pretty horrendous time of it and actually came what 11th out of 12 yeah I mean it was a kind of a, a, a difficult period that 18 months so we had had a lot of change mm -hmm. 
Um, new coach come in, new methodology, new culture, new tactics, new style of play, new everything. Um, and we started off okay. Um, we kind of well, we got a silver medal at the European Championships um, in 2013, but something wasn't just quite right. And nobody could really grip it or understand what it was. And it just wasn't wasn't the environment that we'd created. Right. Uh, in the get in terms of togetherness and that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, we were so selfless. That group of twenty eight in the loop to London was incredibly selfless. Um, just some of my best best memories are of people just giving all of themselves, even though they know they're mm. not going to the Olympics. Mm. And but it became it became quite selfish. Right. You know, similar people. You know. Same, lots of the same players, but different parts of their personality were were brought out, and we were all struggling really. And so it, it wasn't a surprise that where we finished the World Cup, but it was it was nevertheless devastating. And then that led to the team conversation where you all got together that hard conversation mm. that, that we mentioned earlier, mm. um, where you set out values, a vision, asked you know who do we want to be internally. And externally. Mm. Uh, so what was that like and how key was that conversation? I mean, massive. I mean, before, prior to that, we'd I took a period out. It's a hard place to be for any, all of the players at that time, all the staff. Helen had double back surgery. Mm-hmm. So as a couple, you know, Helen was going through just an awful time. She'd missed out on selection for the World Cup because of her back. She was really struggling. Together we were struggling. It was just a, a bad, bad time. So I needed to just take myself away. Um, and Danny was brilliant. He'd come back in as coach at this point and he said, okay, you're going to have to earn your place back into the team. You're going to have to go through the development squad. And I was like, totally fine with that. Um, he let me go away. And over that period of me being away, the, the group that was still continuing forward had a really, really hard conversation where kind of no elephants in the room, get everything out on the table, all the problems that we'd had, you know, all of the finger pointing, all of the blame, let's just get it all out there. Mm. Um, and then off the back of that, progressed a period of healing um and that that conversation that you had around well who are we and how do we want to be remembered and how in 18 months can we turn this ship completely around um and i and i know i feel really strong there was a, there was a real large group of us that had gone through that process in london and really understood the importance of the culture piece and so we're kind of bringing that to the table then in building our new culture for Rio for the last, last 18 months. So that hard conversation, did that then lead to getting back into the selfless rather than selfish? It started the process. I mean, you know, it's going to take more than one meeting. I'm sure. under no illusion that... Yeah. But once you've aired your, your yeah. dirty, you know, you, you can move past it, yes. I guess. You have, to, you have to get it out. You have to. Um, so many... I go into lots of companies now and talk about culture and so many of the problems mm. are things just unsaid. Yeah, and bitterness um, builds, doesn't oh, it? God, we're human. We're emotional. We're yeah. human, and we store it away. Twenty sixteen, Rio twenty sixteen. No one had you down. I, I was kind of surprised at this. No one actually really thought of you as big favourites, uh, or even necessarily medal contenders. No, I mean we'd because of because of twenty fourteen, um, we'd we'd actually turned. I mean it was a real long process. But in twenty fifteen, we won the Europe as England. We won the European Championships. Um, and beating the Dutch on penalties. So there was a belief in us, um, certainly. And we'd had really good kind of results through the way. We'd, we also lost a lot of games. And even in the tournament just before the Olympics, the Champions Trophy, which was in London, we, I think we won one game in that tournament. And people, for that reason, we were able to fly under the radar. 
we knew we were, what we were capable of. We needed to tweak a few things and we got the opportunity to do that after the Champions Trophy, but we knew what we were capable of. The togetherness in the team was absolutely I- integral, wasn't it? So you go into the final against the Dutch, who were going for a hat-trick of golds. It comes down to the final shootout. And uh, and as well, what I found interesting was like the poise that you have, both before the game and after. And everyone else is sort of, you know, uh, bouncing around or whatever, but you are... It's kind of almost like a like a marble statue in in, in both instances. Was that on the know, outside? Yeah, on the outside, exactly. <laughs> so was that was that an intentional thing to to be seen as a rock of stability? Um, I think pe- some people would probably laugh at you saying that because <laughs> I am also I'm really emotive. So right. I have you see you see it in me, in my, particularly in my face. Um, but I am very as I grew up as a leader, I was very conscious of how I behave how I act what impact that is having not only on me but on other people around me and but at the same time not being a robot um but we'd I mean honestly I can't tell you the number of hours had gone into talking about the processes of if it's a draw at the end of time what are we going to be like as a group are we going to celebrate actually we know we're confident for these penalties what's the process of the coach coming down telling the five players that they're taking it Everything had gone, been in so much detail. The hours of practice, the statistics, the analysis, the everything in that moment had been set out. And that's because of our coach, Danny Kerry, left no stone unturned and he is methodical. That is his absolute strength. And so everything was just mapped out. And so it almost just felt like we were just in... And because we'd beaten the Dutch on penalties in the European Championships, we mm. just felt like we, this is meant to be now. Um and it was um, it was just an amazing, amazing feeling. Just the whole two weeks, you know, we won eight games out of eight. It's just unheard of. We were just in this zone. And it was all about the group that was there, the reserves who were there, who couldn't get to play. All the players back home hadn't been selected. It was a proper, proper team effort. Yeah, that that togetherness was yeah. was the was the. It seemed like it was the absolute key element. So you talk yeah. about you know selflessness and being greater almost in the sum of 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 your parts. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, one on one individual players. We had some outstanding world class players, yeah. but as a team, we were the best team. And I think that's in just in terms of our mentality. And that doesn't happen overnight. And it's not just set with, said with words. Mm. That's intent in your in your everyday training, in the decisions that you make. Are you putting the team first? And that's why, you know, we talked so much about the 31. But we, we did. We owed it to the 31 because we're doing all of this every day back at Bishop Abbey, our training base, knowing we don't know if we're going to be selected or not. And yet here you are, you're going to give it your all. Mm. Um, and that continued all the way up to, you know, after selection, those non-selected players keep training. Mm. That's hard. Mm. You've had your dreams shattered. And I just think they are the most incredibly strong women. So then when we're out there playing, you're playing for them mm. yeah. because they would be there in a heartbeat. So you better give it your all right now. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think, the bonds of trust and respect that were formed because we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable with one another. We completely backed each other. Um, we weren't best friends. But trust and respect was unbreakable. And you can see that when you all get up, like you're all holding hands and, and that kind of, that togetherness was was so evident. Sharing that moment then, because I've seen you looking down at your gold, <laughs> like looking somewhat sort of tearful, but sharing that moment with the group and the group beyond, obviously, the people on the pitch, like you say. Mm. What was that moment like and how, you know, how conscious 
of that sharing with others, were you? And and how did that feed into the emotion you were feeling? That's the thing the God gonna set me off now. That's the thing that I was look I was thinking when I was looking down at that medal. I was thinking lots of things, but I stood on that podium, I was really thinking about, you know, all of the women who'd given everything but not had the opportunity to try and achieve that dream. You know, we didn't qualify for the Athens Olympics in 2004. And, you know, for some of those women, that was their last time to wear that GB shirt. And that always fueled me. Um, And so I just felt like part of that medal was absolutely for them because I wouldn't be there. Mm. I wouldn't be there without them. And then, you know, you think this incredible staff who just put in the most ridiculous hours, who could be doing, you know, earning more money in private practices or doing other things, but they care so much and they've given so much, you know, and they don't get, they don't get a medal. Mm. Um, You know, all the friends and the family and all the people have had to put up with our, at times being very selfish, um, making choices and decisions that, you know, put them a little bit on the back burner. You know, it's, it's, it is for them. And I think we, the kind of wider society, we tried to have an impact on this, on the wider society. And that it, so it was, it was, that moment was more about everybody else mm. than for me. Uh, at the risk of setting you off again, what was it like as well then sharing the moment with Helen as yeah. well? Yeah, there's somebody caught a perfectly, perfectly timed picture because we were in number order. So I'm 11, Helen's eight and Susanna Townsend's nine. So she was stood in between us. And so we kind of both got our medals and we kind of just leaned back behind Susanna and give, our, give each other a little high five. And it's, um, you know, not many people get to do that with their spouse. You know, it's... um just to feel so, so incredibly lucky to have, um, one, experienced it and two, experienced it alongside Helen. And, and particularly because for Helen, that last four years was yeah. incredibly hard. Yeah. But I mean, that says everything about the woman that I love, um, the woman that I know, that's just the person that she is. Right, let's get on to a few of the uh, the lessons then. Um, and the first one, I think, really is the importance of then connecting with a vision and, mm. you know, despite the fact that you weren't necessarily all great mates, but having that set out vision and that selfless attitude gave you so much fuel. It has a great impact on many levels. I think having that joint vision that first and foremost, we'd been empowered to build ourselves. So that, I think, was the big thing. And, you know, that's really courageous of Danny as a coach to say, OK, group, what do you want our vision, values and behaviours to be? Because who knows what we're going to come up with so there's an element of trust there from him there's an element of bravery um and a knowing i think of the group that he had a good good number of very good leaders in that team there was a good number of um of people that were going to lead this in the right direction and i think he trusted and believed that um and so yeah and then in the lead up to london our vision for gold was was massive we were ranked eighth in the world at the time when we made that vision and there are times when, of course, we all doubted it, I'm quite sure. But it allows you to to fall back on to something. It allows you to challenge against something. It allows you to build your review structures and feedback sessions and everything around. Well, look, this is what we said we're going to be about. Um, are we being about it? 
And so we, so that's what we did. So in the lead up to Rio, we wanted to be be the difference, create history, inspire the future, and we checked ourselves against that all the time. Danny checked us against that all the time. Are we doing that? Are we living our culture? Can't just be words on a page. It has to live and breathe in everybody. Do you still have? a values and vision based approach to life because mm-hmm. like for example I know that you, you know you and Helen like, mm. I know you spend a lot of time going into schools mm-hmm. and you know you take your responsibility of being a role model for example normalising same sex marriages as much as you possibly can you take that very seriously is that a conscious sort of values vision type thing or is this just something that that, that happens sort of unconsciously no, and I do, I do keep saying this when I go into schools or into companies and I say I feel like I'm a little bit of a fraud because I, I was so vision biased and behaviours driven as a player and I kind of need to go through that process again and I am starting to go through it. But certainly that the vision for Rio is, is still my vision. I still want to be the difference. What difference can I make for myself, for other people? I think creating history is, yeah, possibly not at the forefront of my mind but certainly inspiring the future you know what can what do we want the world to look like um for us as individuals and for us as a collective so i think that those two things in particular do drive me yeah and so and where does that feed into then you and helen and and the and the role model aspect that you you are both you know adopting yeah i mean i think it's it's interesting because it's almost just part of us we don't go into schools and talk about um unless we're asked to we don't go in to talk about um our relationship we go in schools to talk about strength, to talk about having vision, to talk about, you know, being resilient and overcoming setbacks. And and whilst we're there, we're there as a couple. And and that's just part of it. And I think that's, you know, so I, I was quoted recently and I, I got a bit angry because it felt like they were kind of saying that we go in schools to, um, to promote mm. our relationship, which is absolutely not our intent mm. at all. Mm. Um we want to go into schools to just talk about those other things. And when, by the way, we're in a relationship and that's totally normal. And be more prepared to challenge things. You know, I had an email the other day from a hotel that we'd stayed at and it said Mr. and Mrs. Richardson Walsh. And, you know, I'm going to reply to that person and just say, you know, don't assume. And the thing about hockey, though, is it was no big deal. And this is the whole point, getting to the point where it's not even a conversation. Yeah. But the difference between hockey and other sports, so we look at sports like football, Mm -hmm. to a lesser extent like rugby, same in America, Mm -hmm. you know, where there are very few people who are out. Mm -hmm. Whereas in hockey, it's no big deal. In women's hockey. In women's hockey. Yeah, and I think it's important to make that, that point because I think still in male sport generally, I think it's still very taboo um and i think a lot of that is is based on you know this has been talked about a lot but it's a lot of it based around that you know traditionally what do we see as male characteristics what do we see as female characteristics what you know if you are um a man playing sport you're supposed to be strong and brave and and those those characteristics are not traditionally what's seen as uh, characteristics if you're if you are homosexual and it's just about for me just breaking down all of those pigeonholes and um stereotypes and just break them all down to be like this is this is kate this is who kate is as a person part of kate is that she is in a same-sex marriage with helen but that's not you know it doesn't affect my values or what you judge me as as a person so it's we've got such such a long way to go Mm. on that um and I'm so hopeful for the next generation coming through that they, you know, are going to demand a more open view of the world. 
However, there is still an awful amount of bullying that goes on in schools and because of, for any uh, minority group, so, you know, whether it's people with, young people with disabilities or people from ethnic minority groups or um, LGBT people, there are still people being discriminated against every day for for being who they are, Mm -hmm. which is just wrong. Uh, Something I find quite interesting about these bigger sports, you know, your footballs and Mm. so on and so forth, there is this perception of it being all about confidence. Like people are expected to project a a real aura of confidence, yet the fact that no one really has felt able to be themselves and come out, there's a hell of a lot of fear actually Mm. in these sports that base themselves and pride themselves on conveying a, a sense of confidence. I mean, why would you come out to publicly? Because I, I very much believe there are fo- male footballer players who are out to their friends and family and teammates, but they choose to keep that out of the media and out of the public eye. I really genuinely do believe that. And why, And you can see why, why would you come out? Look at the horrific racial abuse that some of those players undertake on a daily basis. And it would be exactly the same because sexuality is... Is something you don't see from the outside. So imagine it would be the same. So you can see why would you put yourself through that if you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about it's about changing minds. I think that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, I think it's about the authorities and organisations being more vocal and being harder on that discrimination and abusive behaviour. Um and it's and it's about allies and people speaking up. And I think the the more we we have that, I hope the better it will become. Right. Let's talk about some of the um, things. So you you are into schools and you are talking about things like pressure and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Pressure Thursday. Yeah. So thinking Thursday, um, it's become infamous now. I mean, so you'd get an email Wednesday night. So we'd have club training. So you'd get back in at about ten p.m. You'd get an email from our coach. And you'd been put, you would be put in a team for the Thursday morning GB session, and it would be kind of five aside or maybe six aside. You'd get put in a different team each week, different captains each week, different rules of the game each week, different size pitch, different um, point scoring system, and you would have to, as a team, find a way to win. And you would then also be thrown quite a few curveballs during the session. So you might get a player just taken off you in the middle of the game. You might be sent off in the middle of the game. The coach might constantly blow the whistle against you every time you touch the ball. And how do you cope with that? Under that pressure of needing to win and you're now being prodded. Emotionally, how do you deal with it? Physically, how do you deal with it? Psychologically, how do you deal with it? And so you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your teammates. Constantly being pushed out of your comfort zone and it was hard it was mentally and emotionally hard you're this is one of the last sessions of the week hockey wise your fatigue levels are so high but you're having to think very very clearly so it it kind of fed into a little bit of the kind of um clive woodward's you know teacup thinking clearly under pressure um mentality and it you know for me i'm an emotional person so i would be like anger management for me every week um as the you know you're sent off for no reason or blown fouls against you for no reason it was it was it was good it was brilliant but i what i found interesting as well is though that, that this can be applied to anyone and you suggested when you went into one of the uh, schools that i saw you talk at and you said you know it's valuable for anyone in any walk of life to to know how they react 
in terms of thoughts and feelings to pressure. It made me think, you know, how few of us actually do know how we react to pressure. And then we get swept up in, you know, maybe panic, maybe anger, whatever. Mindfulness is a really massive concept now and everyone's talking about it. But you need those kind of exercises or or questions I guess to make you think about it in a certain way to be curious allow yourself curiosity of has my body language changed right now how's the has my tone of voice changed how are my interactions like you know what are they like what's that internal voice saying to me has my heart rate gone up like or what happens um and then it can you can start seeing triggers and signs and start you know if you are going into a bit of a negative spiral you can you can shorten that if you, you stop it sometimes um and that's really that's we found that really powerful as mm. a as a squad and as individuals in that squad you said yours was you'd perhaps get a bit uh, emotional and a bit aggro mm-hmm. others would withdraw into mm-hmm. them into themselves so so what advice then would you have for someone who who perhaps isn't aware of of how they deal with pressure i think it's um it's first of all building in a bit of time to to think about and if you can do it in the moment brilliant but even if it's just afterwards be thinking about okay how did i perform today um what was i like going into it so can you remember what mentally you were feeling like what preparation physically did you do um and then what did i feel like during it what was i thinking feeling looking like performing like and then afterwards you know what do I feel about it and then you'll start to over over a period of time build up a I guess a bank of information say okay look when I perform well it's because of maybe these things and this is how it feels at the time and when I don't perform well this is what it looks sounds feels like and these are probably some of the reasons why that is and how can I start either eliminating sidestepping overcoming some of these some of these barriers or obstacles and then would it be about um how to perform when you are in the midst of those sort of kind of low moments if you like performing when we're not at our best you know is hard but we all have to do it yeah I mean that and I do feel very lucky that because we trained together particularly those last seven years when we were full-time every day together at somebody at least one person on any given day at the 31 or 28 was having a bad day and it's so I guess that was the motivation of, well, somebody here is also feeling, might be feeling the same as me or tomorrow they'll feel the same as me. And actually on those days, I'm in, in listening to your podcast with Tani, she was just like, get yourself out the door. Just yeah. get yourself there. Get yourself through it in whatever manner and be proud of the fact that you've done that. Because if that's what you can deliver on that day, nobody can ask any more of you than that. Yeah. So just deliver what you can on that on that day um however bad you're feeling you will be making some impact in some way so that's good you talk as well about the importance of trying to not get too high and too low so staying within a kind of i don't want to say narrow emotional range but kind of you know so the the highs you're not getting carried away and the Mm. lows you know you're not falling into the pit of despair I think first of all, it's acknowledging that there are ups and downs because I think you talked before. You said to, about I look like a statue or a kind of and stoic. I think. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I was I was for a long time tried to be this kind of robotic, you know, don't show any emotion um, to the group, and actually that was a detriment to me as a person, and also detriment to how I was leading the group because who's going to follow a robot you know that's not human they can't nobody can relate to that it's not real life we all have as you said we all have ups and downs we all experience things in a different way emotionally and so I feel like once I'd 
open myself up to that. And I think seeing a therapist for me really helped that. Um, then it was for then then it was for me about about monitoring the levels of that. And of course, I got it wrong all the time. Like I would absolutely get over the top in training and get too into it and get really angry or aggressive or. Um, I mean, the other way was much worse for me, actually. The other way, being very withdrawn and quiet, was 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 when you knew I was really, really struggling. Mm. Um, How would you cope with that, being withdrawn? So I think having shared that part of myself with some of my teammates, you know, actually lean on them a little bit in those moments. So if it's happening in a training session or a game, you know, there are other... Everybody was a leader in the team, but there were other very... Um, very, very fantastic, competent leaders. And just because I was wearing the captain's ribbon or the captain's armband, it doesn't really matter. When you're out there playing, everybody needs to be a leader. And so actually, you know, Helen in front of me playing centre-half, Alex playing in front of her, Hannah, Krista. I mean, there was just so many littered throughout the side that actually it's okay for me to be not feeling okay right now. And actually they are, they can lead. And I can't be all things to all people all the time. And I just need to do the best I can today. And they will be grateful of that. And I need to be grateful for myself for that. And so it was just being a bit kinder to yourself, to yeah. myself and not, and not asking things of myself that just were not going to be possible f for that day. When if I was, if I was feeling really bad, um, and and so for that's I think for me it was just being human, cutting myself a bit of slack, holding my hand up, being honest to be to able to say to the group, do you know what I'm really struggling today? Mm. I'm gonna and that's really hard to it's do. So hard. It's so incredibly hard. Of course it is. And that's right. Like what you hear so often, particularly men, like mm. who isolate and withdraw in, just having the the bravery really to 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 say to someone that I don't feel great. I think it's easy to project how people will react, but actually that's almost invariably the first step to feeling better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 for all of us to create an environment where people feel they can say that. So it's not just that person, feel, you know, having the confidence to say it. It's actually for everybody else to create an environment where those other pe those people, because it will be you one day, mm. can feel they can say that. So whether that's on a one to one basis or, you know, we had body groups, which were really powerful. We had our leadership group, of course. So we, there was, you know, lots of opportunity to share at least with one person mm. that you, you're struggling. Um and like I say, we there will be days when when I was missed. There'll be days when when we when we missed the, that person struggling, and we and we didn't support them in the best way that we could. But the intent was always to to try. Mm. That openness and selflessness was absolutely integral to your success, the, the team's success, wasn't it? Yeah, being vulnerable with each other was huge. And it's you know for some people like you know we were saying oversharing. Like some people totally comfortable with that. Tell yeah. you their life story in a heartbeat. And then there's others for that them that is their worst nightmare. And it's an understanding that, again, both of those is okay and one is not better than the other, but providing people with the opportunity to share and the level that they feel is appropriate for them. Mm. Um, and we were really, really vulnerable with one another. We shared all of our, you know, ups and downs within the hockey team, stuff that was going on outside, of course, and not with everybody. Um, but somebody in there will know, and and maybe sometimes even not the person that you're most close to, but there will be somebody there that you'll have shared something, a part of you with, that is very raw and very real and that nobody else will see. And that binds you together. Mm. I think there's something human in all of us that 
if somebody opens up to you in that way, there's something innate that we want to care for that person in yeah. some way. Um, so I think that was huge. Right, just very finally, yes. when you go and you do your talks in schools, and, you know, on your own with Helen, what, what if there was if you if you had to sum up like one thing that you're trying to get across, what is it? Being the best version of you that you can be and not being afraid of that. Because I think for lots of people that's, and we're going to quote Brené Brown now, but daring greatly. I love Brené Brown. Um, I love a quote. Go for it. Um, so it's from the she, some of the Teddy Roosevelt quote of, um, it's the man who, a woman, a woman who's prepared to put themselves in that arena, knowing that they may fail, uh-huh. but they might win, but that they all have to deal with either consequence. And it's the constantly putting yourself in that position that is is terrifying for some, for lots of us. To really put yourself out there and say, I really want this. And I might only want it for a, a day, a week, a month, a year. Or I might want this to be my life goal. But I'm, I'm going to dare. I'm mm. going to dare to do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the consequence of that. And whatever that means for you to be able to thrive in that way is to is to embrace it and that's that is it for me is is just being prepared to to be comfortable in your own skin and just be very proud of who you are and be curious about that and grow and fail and learn and all that good stuff kate richardson walsh obe Thank you very much for coming on Don't Summer School. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I hope it all goes uh, swimmingly in December. Thank Please you. pass on my uh, kindest and warmest wishes to Helen. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you in. Thank you. Thanks for having me in. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say, I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. 
Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.